Thank you so much for coming to Harvest today. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us. My name is Pastor Micah. Uh, as Chris said earlier, if you're a guest with us today, man, please let us know if you need anything at all. We'd love to help you and serve you in any way we can. Uh, so last week, we kicked off our new ministry year for 2018-2019 uh, with our new theme for the ministry year. As you see on the banners and behind me, love the king, live for the kingdom. And I see some of the people sporting the shirts today, and I love it. Uh, we want to keep that before us all year, right? This is what we're going after, that we want to be growing as better, stronger citizens of his kingdom throughout this year. And um, so our series that we're starting off with is called Upside Down Kingdom, and it's examining Jesus's sermon on the mount, the, the longest, most in-depth, most clear teaching directly from the mouth of Jesus that we have in all of Scripture is right here in these three chapters of Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7. And so I'm really excited to be walking through this, but it's, it's going to take us a while to get through it because uh, we're going to take our time. We're going to hit each piece as we go. And so I've divided the bigger series uh, into smaller sub-series to kind of help you organize and keep things straight where we're at. And so this first sub-series is called Child of the King because that is the foundation of being citizens of the kingdom is that first and foremost, we are children of the king himself, and that lays the foundation for everything else in the way we understand. That's our starting place. So if you've got a Bible with you, grab it. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 13 today. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there should be a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you. We would love for you to grab one of those and follow along with us that way uh, if, if you need to do that. So Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be at today when we're talking about finding your calling. And so I was working on this this week, and I don't know if anybody else has seen this uh, on, um, on the internet or whatever, but um, so Amazon Prime video, you know, like they're coming out this new TV series, and it starts like this week, and I am like so pumped about the series. They've been, they've been like teasing it for a year, and I've been waiting and waiting, and it's, it's uh, Jack Ryan. Anybody else seen this coming out? All right, thank you. I, I got one person up here that's with me on the Jack Ryan uh, fan club. And so, so Jack Ryan is actually a, a character from a Tom Clancy novel from like years and years ago. And they've kind of made multiple movies and series and like video games. Like it's like just like this big thing. And so, um, so I'm so excited about this new series coming out. And I've I'm, I'm got it already like, you know saved in my list, and I'm ready to start watching when it pops. But, so, but to prepare for it, I went back last week, and I watched uh, the newest movie version of Jack Ryan to kind of refresh myself and get myself, you know, back in the zone. And so, so here's kind of the backstory for this guy, if you have no idea who I'm talking about, which most of you, that's the stare I'm getting. Okay, so, so Jack Ryan is actually um, this super smart, gifted math guy who is in college, and he's doing his thing, and, um, and he actually becomes Dr. Jack Ryan. That's how good he is uh, with math and gets his doctorate in it. But he, in the midst of getting out of college, the country is kind of in a, a crisis of uh, war and things. And so he decides he's going to enlist in the Marines to go and serve his country. And he becomes actually like a captain out on the front lines in the field. And he's leading some troops and everything. And, but in, the whole time he's leading this troops, he's also like on the side uh, reading all these intel reports and like typing up like like briefings for the chiefs of the army or marines like sending them on and they're all like not paying attention to him because he's like you're just like some captain on the front lines and blah blah and, like one of his guys his 
uh, that he's leading turns to him at one point. He's like, dude, you are like super smart. You could be doing so much more. Like, why are you here with us in this place? Like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm here to serve my country. What better place to do that than right here? And so he's just in there, he's doing his thing, and he's actually a pretty good captain, but in the midst of it all, his helicopter crashes, it gets shot down and it crashes, and he suffers like major back trauma and has to go into rehab and learn how to rewalk and like, just like a serious, serious injury. And so while he's rehabbing, the CIA starts watching him, or has, probably has been watching, they're always watching, right? So, um, so anyways, they got their eyes on him and they come in like, hey, we want you to come and be an analyst for us and put your real skills to work, right? And so he kind of wrestles through that. He finally relents and takes his position with the CIA. And he goes forth to then uncover, he becomes like this financial analyst. And he's like uncovering, you know, secret accounts and secret um, bank accounts and stuff that are funding terrorism and that are used against the United States. And and ends up in this movie, in this particular version, um, saving the United States from this giant terrorist attack because he finds the money and traces it back and, you know, pulls the guys down kind of thing. He, he was able to do so much more for his country by getting into the space where he could use his gifting and his abilities and his calling rather than serving out. His intentions were good when he enlisted and was on the front lines, but they didn't just want him to enlist. They wanted him to move where he could best be used in his calling as an agent. Are you tracking with me? Same thing is true for us. Jesus' plan for your life, his calling on your life is not just to enlist in the army, right? Not just to get your citizen card and join the kingdom. It's to become an agent, an agent of change, an agent of redemption for him in this current world working for the kingdom, right? And that's what Jesus talks about here in this next section of the Sermon on the Mount. And so... Here's kind of the, the, the main idea this morning. It goes like this. This is, the sermon is called Find Your Calling. And here's what I'm going to say. Finding your calling means being who Jesus is, where Jesus isn't, to see his glory spread. If you're going to find your calling, this is what it is. This is what you have to do. Be who Jesus is, where Jesus isn't, to see his glory spread. So with that in mind, look at verse 13 with me. It starts off like this. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So start with the first part here. We're just going to break this apart today. Who, be who Jesus is. That's the first point. Here, it's interesting to me that Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. So obviously he's talking to a distinct group of people, right? He's talking here and specifically to his disciples. And if you remember last week, we studied the Beatitudes, verses 1 through 12. And the Beatitudes, interestingly enough, start not with you are, but they start with blessed are the people who are meek, who mourn, who hunger and thirst for it. So it's kind of more third person abstract. Like if people are like this, then that's but by the end of the Beatitudes, the very last statement, he says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, right? And he turns it, he turns the corner there and says, listen, I'm talking to you, right? So he's saying, listen, if you 
are my disciples, then you're called to be like Jesus. And if you're called to be like Jesus, that means you will be persecuted. We talked about that last week. It's a sobering realization. And then around the tail of all of that, he gives another you are statement. He says, you are the salt of the earth. What does that even mean? Right? Like, like I'm the flavoring of the earth? Like, who's eating the earth and why am I the flavoring on it? Like, I don't understand. Because in our brains, in our world, in our culture, salt is primarily used as a flavoring agent, right? Like, that's the thing. Like, you're like, man, this, something's not quite right. I need some more salt, right? Like, pass me the salt, and then we do the thing, and then we all die earlier. But, um, but that's how we use salt today. But that's not how they primarily use salt in Jesus' day, right? So the difference is today, we all have this thing in our house called a refrigerator, right? Some of us maybe have two refrigerators in our house. You got the one in the kitchen and the one in the basement or the one in the garage or the deep freeze, right? Are you tracking with me? No shame in that. It's okay. That's all right. They didn't have that. So they primarily use salt as a preserving agent to keep meat and keep other foods from decaying too quickly and going bad so they could save them and eat them and use them later, right? So in, if, you got, if you put yourself back, when you're reading the Bible, man, you always need to put yourself in the shoes of the people that are in the moment, at the place, hearing the thing. And when the people, when the disciples heard this from Jesus, they'd have been like, oh, so we're supposed to help preserve something, right? That's what they're hearing in this moment. And so the disciples, he's saying here, are God's preserving agents in the world. They're, they're agents of change. They're agents of redemption that are preserving his kingdom functioning in this broken, sinful world. And that's what we're called to be as followers of Christ. But then he goes on, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Now, again, it kind of gets us a little bit confused here because the translators of our Bibles translate this as taste, which again then makes us go back to the whole flavoring thing, right? But the word taste and the word saltiness there are actually kind of from the same root, and it really means the essence of the salt. In other words, he's saying, if the salt has lost its essence, how does it get the essence back? Are you tracking with me? All right. Now, I did a little research this week because I'm not like a scientist by trade or anything. I'm not super great at that stuff. But I found, I did learn this. It, we know that like the normal table salt that we use is just a basic substance of sodium chloride. Right? Y'all are like, yeah, we knew that, Mike. You're like, okay, catch up. Okay, this is, this is me and you. This is the difference. Like, I got to read stuff, okay? So it's just basic, basic sodium chloride is all that's all salt is. And here's, here's the thing about salt is... Um, it can't lose its saltiness. It's physically, chemically impossible for salt to not be salty, right? It's like saying, like, water can't not be wet. Are you tracking with me, right? Like, it's, if it's water, it's wet. If it's salt, it is salty by just the natural compound of what it is. So what's Jesus mean when he says, if you lose your saltiness, like that, if that's not even physically possible, what's he talking about? Well, in the uh, time period here in the ancient Near East, um, they, it was a form of thievery or form, form of robbery where um, people selling salt would actually dilute or cut the salt by adding other substances to it that looked like salt, the little white stuff, 
but weren't actually salt, and so your ratio of salt in whatever you were using was actually less than pure salt. Are you with me? It's kind of like, um, like marijuana today, right? Like you got one bag, and then you put it in two bags and add some oregano, and now you can sell it for twice as much. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you not. That's okay. So um, that's cutting or diluting it. They would do that with the salt. Are you with me? And if you put this bad salt, this cut, diluted salt on your stuff, it's not going to keep it. It's not going to preserve it because it's not salt. It doesn't have this saltiness. It doesn't have the essence of what salt is. Are you with me? So he goes on. Because the salt becomes less potent, less effective... It now loses its purpose. It stops doing what it is supposed to do because it's no longer what it's supposed to be. He says, no longer is it good for anything except to be thrown out. Literally, it's worthless because it can no longer fulfill its purpose. So it has no worth other than to be thrown out and just trampled on. So when he says, you are the salt of the earth, he's talking to us as Christians. If you're a Christian here today, he's talking to you. We are salt, which means our purpose, our calling, is to be God's preserving agent in the world, to work for him as agents of change, as agents of redemption in this broken world, bringing the kingdom to life right here. But to do that, we have to stay salty. So how do we do that? How do we keep our saltiness? Well, actually, Jesus just told us in the first 12 verses of this chapter, right? I love how the Bible always, like, builds on itself. Like, one thing needs the next thing, leads to the next thing, right? So he's like, the way you stay salty is you pursue holiness. You pursue being like me through the Beatitudes we just talked about, right? Being meek and being hunger, hungry and thirst for righteousness and and mourning your sin and all that stuff we talked about last week. Longing to be better as we live out these Beatitudes. We lose our saltiness when we start to mix in other things. When other things come in and start to dilute our lives like the things of the world. We start giving them a place in who we are and what we do. And a lot of times this happens when we start to try to avoid or sidestep the persecution that Jesus just said we're going to experience. You're seeing this all tied together, right? Jesus says, listen, you're going to be persecuted just so you know, and that's a good thing. We're like, yeah, I don't know if I really signed up for the persecution gig, Jesus. So like, I'm going to change this over here, and I'm going to say something differently or do something differently or cave in on this or not stand up for this. I'm going to let that slide a little bit so I don't get so much of the persecution. And as we do that, we're allowing things of the world to come into our lives and dilute our holiness. And we're losing our saltiness. Now, just to be clear, we all, we all do this at times, right? None of us are perfectly holy. None of, nobody's batting a thousand this week on holiness, Okay? But hopefully we're growing in it and we're pursuing it. And how do you know if you're pursuing holiness? You know it because you are in a constant state 
of brokenness and repentance when it's not there. When I miss the mark, when I don't make the right decision, when I don't say the right thing, I'm not perfect, but I am broken over that. I am repentant over that. I am trying to turn from that. That's pursuing holiness. And as our heart is humble before the Lord and broken over our sin, God comes and he grows us and he stretches us and he matures us. And we become more and more salty in a good way. Sometimes we call people salty. That's not a good thing today. Today it's good. Okay, like Jesus says it's good. All right. So if we allow our saltiness to be diluted, we will become worthless to the mission of God's kingdom. As he said, the salt is thrown out. If we allow our holiness to be diluted, he won't throw us out as in you're not saved anymore. All right, the Bible doesn't teach that. But he will say, listen, if you're not helping the kingdom, I'm not going to use you. You're over here. Many Christians, many churches, unfortunately, even some full denominations today have done this. They've tried to make Jesus, they've tried to make the gospel more palatable for the masses and for the world, and they've changed it and they've dumbed it down and they've watered things down to try to make it where there's no more persecution, there's no more resistance, and in doing so, they've actually become completely ineffective in the world. You want to know why Christianity is such a joke in the media a lot of times? Because they don't respect us because we don't stand for anything anymore. We just change it and tweak it and make it look close enough to their thing that it won't be offensive. We're losing our saltiness. So what's this look like in our everyday lives? Right? Um, so I, I grew up in Farmington, which is a small town about an hour south of here. Um, and ironically enough, I grew up in Farmington, but I never um, farmed. Um, our family didn't do that. We didn't own a farm. I didn't go do the farm. Like, I think I put up hay a couple times during the summer for like a day. And I was like, that's ridiculous. I'm not doing that again. And so like, that wasn't my, my gig. But in the middle of my high school career, we actually moved to Fulton, Missouri for a year. And so I'm a new kid in school, right? And I saw this girl and I was like, yeah, okay. And so I wanted to get to know her better. And I still had uh, one elective in my schedule open. And so I found out that she was in ag class. That's agriculture class for you city people, okay? Um, and so you learned farming stuff there. And so, like, I signed up for ag class, of course, right? Because that's where she was. And, and so, so I go, and I get in this class, and I somehow end up on the horticulture team um, preparing and studying all this stuff to go to, state, or to, go to district ag competition, <laughs> Right? And so I'm on this team and I'm studying the stuff and I'm doing the thing because, you know, Joe was there too and I didn't want her with him, so I wanted her with me. So I had to like beat Joe in the horticulture thing. And so I'm there and I'm studying the stuff and, and so we get all ready and we go to the district competition and we show up. And I, I kid you not, every single kid there, every single teenager there was in ropers and a cowboy hat and the purple suede leather ag jacket. I don't even know what that was exactly, but they all had one, um, but I didn't have one. Um, and I was completely out of my element. That was not my gig at all. And it was became very clear very quickly. But I was trying to change who I was so that she would like me. Right? We all struggle with this. Right? We all want to be liked. 
We want people to like us. We want to have good relationships. We don't want people to hate us or to like think bad about us or look down on us, right? And if you want to be like, I don't care what people think. All you're telling me when you say that is you've already decided they're not going to like you. And so if you put up enough walls to make them not like you, then you're like, see, I told you, right? And you're just controlling the rejection that you're afraid is coming. Because inside of us, all of us desire relationships. We're wired for that. We want people to like us. And so we'll do this. We'll change things and we'll tweak things. And, and it comes slowly sometimes. It's, a, it's a not speaking up here and then a, a decision over here or a word choice here or a media choice over there or a fashion choice over here. Or it's just this one time it won't hurt and then pretty soon it becomes a habit and it becomes a change in my priorities. And we slip into this I want people to like me street that's driving us further and further away from being distinct in the holiness that God has called us to. And we all do it. And it's so subtle and it's so easy. And Jesus is saying, don't. Don't lose your saltiness. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to stand out. You're supposed to be agents of change, agents of redemption in the world. You can't do that if you look like them. Be who Jesus says you are, not who everyone else wants. That's what it boils down to. If you want to stay salty, we have to be who Jesus says you are, not who everyone else wants you to be so that they can like you. When we start to do what everyone else wants us to do so that they'll like us, we pretty soon start to look like disciples of them rather than disciples of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, he goes on. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, for, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Point number two today, be where Jesus isn't. Be who Jesus is, but be where Jesus isn't. He says here, you are the light of the world. Now, if you have studied the Bible much, if you have any kind of church background, I hopefully that like sounds an alarm in your head because you're like, whoa, wait, who, what, who's the light of the world? I'm pretty sure uh, at some point Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Right? That's John 8, 12, if you want to jot that down. It says here, and again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what's Jesus talking about here? Right? If he's the light, then how are we the light? Well, what he's saying is, listen, if you're following me, I, Jesus, am the big L, capital L, light, you are the small L, little L light reflecting my light off of your life for other people to see. I've called you to be my reflectors, my mirrors. The, the light of me needs to shine through you to other people. He goes on, he says, a city on a hill 
and he says a lamp on a stand. These are kind of both similar analogies here. The whole purpose of a city on a hill or a lamp on a stand is to give off light, right? The reason you light a lamp is to have light, right? That seems pretty logical. And he says, not under a basket or a bowl, right? There's no point in hiding a lamp, hiding light, because then it defeats the purpose of the lamp, which is to give off light, He says, so you're the light of the world. He says, let your light shine. Light shines. It illuminates. It brings sight. Do you understand that about your eyes? Like your eyes physically could not see anything if it wasn't for light. Right? It needs light to reflect in the way your eye is designed to even function correctly. Light is what helps us see. He says, let your light shine. It's interesting that that's a command, right? It's not like a suggestion or like, hey, if you want to, if you have some time this week, why don't you shine the light a little bit? It's like, no, no, let your light shine. Do it. Fulfill your calling and shine before others, right? Not just shine your light before God. Not just come to church on Sundays and I'm here, God. I'm shining the light, right? I'm worshiping you. I'm doing the thing. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about just between you and God at home, like you know, in the morning, I have my prayer time, I have my Bible time, it's so good for an hour or half an hour or five minutes or whatever your thing is, like I'm, I'm with the Lord and then I leave and I go to work and that's the end of it. That's not what he's talking about. That's not letting your light shine. It's not just for God, it's not just for you and God. It's not just for your small group. It's not like it's before others, he says. This is such important balance to the countercultural instructions of the Beatitudes. Did you feel any of that last week when we were going through the Beatitudes? The, you know, blessed are those who are mourn their sin and who are meek and who are, you know, hunger and thirst for right. It, it feels like that is so foreign to everything around us. Like, if I'm going to do all that, then, like, I need to, like, come over here by myself and get, like, in my little circle of just me and my Christian friends and the holy huddle thing and, like, just, just us, right? Like, we can't do that out there because, man, that's so different from what they're doing. And so we just need to huddle up and just do it right here with us. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Your light doesn't just shine here. Your light needs to shine there before others, right? It has to be out. He does not call us to a monastic, separatist type of culture. He calls us to shine forth our unique pursuit of Jesus and his ways before others who don't yet have the light. I say this often. Christian faith is always personal, but never private. Christian faith first has to be personal, right? It can't just be, oh, well, I've always been in church, or I've always known God, or I've always had a relationship with God. That's not Christian faith. I'm, I, I'm thankful that your parents raised you in church. I'm thankful that you've always had an understanding of God or a connection with God. That's fantastic. But God calls us to salvation, which requires me personally trusting in Jesus Christ, me saying I'm in, not just because my parents are, not just because my grandparents are, not just because we went to this church or this denomination, but I personally am choosing to follow Jesus Christ. That's where salvation starts. So Christian faith has to be personal, but it's not meant 
to be private. It's not meant to just be me and Jesus, right? It's not meant to just be here at church. It's not just meant to be in your small group or with your spouse or with your kids. It's meant to be all parts of your life for everyone to see on display, shining light into the world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, well-known pastor, theologian, um, back in Germany when the Nazis were having their rampage, um, actually was part of the resistance that stood up against Hitler and the Nazis. But he wrote this. He said, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. If we are not living out our faith in the public, in front of others who don't know Jesus, then we're not really following Jesus. He says here, let your light shine before others that they may see. See who? See you? No, no, no. See Jesus, right? That they may see through your good works, he says, that they may see Jesus. They may see you pursuing him, pursuing holiness, pursuing those beatitudes. Like, they'll see it through the way you live. Not because you're earning anything. Right? It's not like when I go out and I do all this stuff in front of other people, like God's like, all right, that's another check for Micah. All right? like, it's not like he's keeping an account and I'm earning anything with God. It's not that. It's me just living out what he has already put in me by the grace of God and leading others to find the same light that I have found. But we have to shine the light before others. So now we've got two commands. He says, we are salt and we are light. So again, what does this look like in real life? First of all, it means setting your heart to pursue Jesus and holiness in all of your life. All of your life. Not just Sundays, not just small group, not just youth group, right? Not just in your family, but in all of your life, everywhere you go, pursuing Jesus, pursuing holiness. But this is going to most vividly play out in your real world, everyday spheres of life, right? At the school, at the hospital, at the job site, at the office, that's where this is going to most be tested. Raising your kids in your home or in your neighborhood, that's where this is going to be tested. Are you a faithful witness there? Not just when you're around other Christians, but when you're not. Are you still living for Jesus? Do you walk in integrity there? Maybe they don't even know you're a Christian yet. Do you refuse to enter into what is sinful there in your real world life? As you live out a life of following Jesus around people who don't, they're going to see the light. Now, I am not in favor of, nor do I ever preach or teach, I hope you, those of you who've been coming here for a while, you know this, that that's enough. Right? It's not enough for us to just go and just be good people, and somehow they're going to magically know, oh, that's Jesus. I need Jesus. I'm going over to Jesus. Right? Like, we still have to speak up and tell them the gospel at some point. But they're not ready to hear the gospel until they see the light. 
It starts here by shining the light so that they can see and then we can speak life through the gospel. But so often this time, this kind of thing leads to ugliness and awkwardness and maybe even persecution at times. Some of the most tense, ugly, awkward rooms that I have ever been in um, did not come from my mouth, although that has happened. Um, Most of the time, it's simply come by me saying, no thank you. Not quite as much anymore because now that, you know, I'm a pastor, most people know that, and, like, people are, are less likely these days to offer, like, blatantly sinful things to the pastor. Um, but, you know, in previous days of life, and I'm sure some of you can attest, you have that moment where you're at the house, or you're with the guys, or you're doing the thing at work, and they're like, hey, man, we're going to go do this. It's going to be awesome. You ought to come with us. No, thank you. What? I'm like, no, no, thank you. What? what? You think you're better than me? What are you saying? No, no, no. I, I just, just saying no. I just don't want to do it. Are you judging me now? Like, you think you're, like, no, I'm not. You can go do whatever you want. In fact, I'll come bail you out when you're done. But, like, I'm just not going. Right? But it gets really awkward. And it gets tense. Because there's conviction coming. Right? Light is shining on to the darkness. And it doesn't always feel good. You know what they call light that is really precise and, and filtered and, and, and powerful? It eventually becomes a laser. Right? And lasers can cut and burn and hurt. Sometimes light does that. Sometimes it needs to do that to accomplish the work of bringing people to Jesus. Not that we're going for that, not that we're like aiming for that, or that's our heart's desire for them, but bottom line is, if we're being light, however God decides to use that, so be it. And if he, that's what it takes, us being light is what it takes for him to set their hearts on fire, I'm good with that. We are light, but light is only helpful when it goes into the darkness. We have to be light there. Go where Jesus needs to be, not where it's easy to be. A lot of times we want to just spend our time hanging out with other Christians and doing the easy to be thing. And we love that and we're all for that. I mean, yesterday we were up serving in another church. We have fellowship things around here. We've got the Harvest Festival coming up. It's going to be great. We come to worship. We're all about being with God's people, but that can't be all of it. Sometimes we need to go where Jesus needs to be, not just where it's easy to be. Be salt, be light, be who Jesus is, where Jesus isn't. The last thing, be used to spread his glory. Verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Did you catch that last part? Let your light shine before others so they may see and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. The purpose of shining light is not for them to be like, oh man, look at him, he's awesome. No, 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 we're not awesome. He's awesome, right? It's not look at me, it's look at him. This is who I follow, this is who I serve, this is who can change your life. This is the light you need. 
We're pointing them to Jesus and his glory. And to do that, we have to walk humble in him so they can see past us and to the true source of light. If I'm coming in shining a light with a big head and I've got this figured out and I'm holier than you and you just need to catch up, that's not going anywhere good. That's not the kind of light we're talking about. That's, look at me, I'm awesome. We need to be humbly walking and shining a light that says, look at Jesus, he's so awesome. He's so awesome. I was thinking just as I was preparing this week, just thinking of examples in our church of people where they haven't said anything to me, they haven't necessarily even brought it up, but where I have seen them shining light into the darkness. Nothing that we organize as a church, nothing that I told them to go do, right? And I could go on with countless stories, and so this is by far not an exhaustive list, all right? But just some ones that came to my mind. One of our men, um, Nick Farrell, when they first joined our core group, um, they were looking for a church, but uh, he was already starting a men's Bible study where they were walking through the book of Romans, and discipling whoever, just guys from he knew from work or guys he knew from whatever neighborhood, and he's already like doing the work of making disciples and pointing their lives. I think that was like three or four years ago, three years ago. I think they're still going through the book of Romans. Um, that's how Nick does it, man. He's like, I'm going to nail you with this thing, right? So, but he's making disciples, and through his living a light of light, a life of light, he works in the, one of the ambulance, ambulance districts in the area. His chief or his boss or whoever came to him and asked him to actually be a chaplain over the ambulance district to serve the other guys in his spot. So now he gets a free pass and license to talk to people about Jesus at work, right? Like, how cool is that? But it starts by just shining some light. And people see it and they respond to that. I was thinking about Jenny this week. Jenny Friedman started a new job at a high school this past year. And as she started shining light in that place, they knew she was a Christian. They knew that she was following Christ. And, and they were trying to start a young life chapter there at the high school and came and asked her if she'd be one of the sponsors to help start this young life chapter to reach kids who don't know Jesus with the gospel of Jesus Christ. She said yes. And then she went for a whole week this past summer down in North Carolina and spent a week with all these teenagers and acting like she was a teenager and paying for it afterwards. And, and, but just so she could just shine light into these kids' lives, Right? That's what we're talking about. Just a couple weeks ago, a woman shows up at our church. I'm like, hey, I was asked the same question. Hey, how'd you find out about Harvest? Like, what brought you here? I just kind of want to know your, I want to know your story. She's like, oh, well, um, this, uh, this guy named Jason was my mail carrier, right? And uh, Jason just, I mean, he, he's, he's all over the place delivering mail, and he always has this, this friendly, um, loving disposition towards people. I've seen him in action. I've, I've talked to him. Like I've been on the phone while he's like delivering mail and I hear him talking to his customers and he's just like, he's doing this thing. And she, he's like, yeah, she, he gave me a card like two years ago and invited me to the church and I decided I'd come. Just be in light, right? I had a conversation with a guy last week. He's like, yeah, so over the last couple of months, it's been amazing. God's been letting me have conversations with my employees and even conversations with my boss about spiritual things. Now we're having lunch together and we're talking about the Bible and we're talking about this. I'm like, yes, light. One of the guys in our small group was telling us a story last week. 
He was like, hey, there was this thing at work, and my boss, it was, it was like this whole like staff meeting, and the boss said something like really awkward about heaven and made like this hypothetical and asked me this question, and it was just like completely kind of weird and inappropriate. He's like, so I was just like, well, I don't know about all that, but like when I get to heaven, I know I'm going to have Jesus, so I'm okay. It's like in front of the whole staff, right? Like that's just taking a moment and just opportunity to be light. These are the kind of things we're talking about. We have several mothers and, and, and husbands and, and wives who they have people in their household who don't believe in Jesus. And day in and day out, they're just trying to humbly live walking Jesus out in front of their unbelieving family members so that hopefully one day they'll get it and come to know Christ. That is being light. Right where God has put you. So, how is your light shining today? How are you doing? At, how salty are you, right? In a good way. How's your pursuit of Jesus? How's your pursuit of holiness going? Are you chasing other things more than you're chasing Jesus? Are those things starting to dilute your life and following him? It's not about what you do or don't do. It's not earning anything. Please hear me. It's about pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you feeling trampled today? Do you feel like that salt that's gotten so diluted that it's just gotten thrown out and you just came in today and you were just feeling just beat down by the world? You're just feeling rejected and trampled and you've tried to to, to make it easier, but somehow in trying to make it easier, the world has actually just beat you down even more? Or are you trying to be all things to all people instead of pleasing the one who matters most? The one who will actually be there when it's all said and done. I want people to like me, but I don't need you to like me. Because I have one who does like me. I'm way more concerned about what he thinks than what you think. No offense. This is being salt. And then is, talk, think about your light. Is your light hidden? Maybe you're doing okay with the pursuing Jesus and, and you're, you're running after Christ and that's going well, but you're doing it in secret. Are you just focused on your circle, your safe little circle of family or small group or church friends or, and failing to shine a light or are you courageously piercing into the darkness, into the world around you with the light of Jesus Christ? Or, let me just kind of step back for a second even. Maybe there's even some of you here today who are like, Micah, I don't even know what light you're talking about yet. Right? Like, I, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus at all yet. I'm, holding, I'm totally new to this church thing. I'm new to this Jesus thing. I'm just trying to figure stuff out at this point. That's great. We are so glad you're here. This is the perfect place for you to figure things out. And here's what we mean when we talk about light. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it broke everything. It broke all of creation, including you and I. And because of that, when we were born, we were born with sinful hearts, and then we choose to make sinful decisions. And this sin separates us from a perfect and holy God. And we can't fix that separation. We can't close that gap. There's nothing we can do to earn our way back to God. And God knew that. And so he said, you know what? I'll fix it for you. 
and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and to be born human, to walk among us on the earth, and to live a perfect, sinless life, the life that none of us could live. And then he went to the cross, and he died a sinner's death to pay for his, not for his sin. He didn't have it. He paid for your sin. He paid for my sin. In my place, on the cross, for my sin, he was killed, and he went into the tomb, and three days later, rose back to life to show I am king, and I am God, and I can conquer sin, and I can conquer death, and I can deliver you from all of that. I can shine a light into your dark life and bring you out of that and rescue you from the darkness if you will trust in me, if you'll put your faith in Jesus alone. That's the light we're talking about. If you don't have that yet, if you haven't yet trusted in Christ, if you don't have the light of Jesus in your heart and your life, today can be that day for you. And you can start to be a salt, be salt and light, as we've talked about already. Regardless of where you're at, regardless of whether you still need the light or you already have it and you're trying to figure out how to shine that thing, the answer to all those scenarios is Jesus. You just need more of Jesus in your life, right? Whether that be for salvation or sanctification, it doesn't matter. You just need more of him. He is the answer. Look to the light of Jesus and give glory to God the Father. That's what you need to do today. That's what I need to do today. Look fixed eyes solely on the light of Jesus. And let it transform you and let it grow you that you can give more and more and more glory to God Almighty. Be who Jesus is where Jesus isn't to see his glory spread. That's our job. That's the calling on your life as a believer. This message was called Find Your Calling. Jesus is giving it to you right here, right? Go be who he is where he isn't so that he can be glorified in his kingdom. He's calling us that. He's calling us to be agents of redemption, agents of change, preserving agents in this lost world. But to do that, we have to follow him. We have to be salt and light so others can be changed and they too can experience him and the glory in their lives. This is our calling. Love the king, live for the kingdom. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. We thank you, God, for just this time together today to dig into your word, Lord, to hear once again from you, from your spirit. Lord, we praise your name today for everything that you have done, all that you continue to do in our hearts and our lives in this church. Father, it is so evident that you are moving and working in mighty ways. And we praise you for that. It's for your name, Lord. You are awesome. And Father, we want to follow you faithfully, Lord. We want to be the agents that you've called us to be for your kingdom. Thank you for shining your light on us and calling us into your family. Help us, embolden us to be faithful and following you no matter what it costs us, no matter what it means. And strengthen us, Lord, that we can shine 
your light into the lost, dark world around us so that more people can know you, so more people can experience your wonderful grace. Lord, it's only by your grace. Lord, renew our zeal, renew our commitment to be agents of redemption in this world for you. Pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing together.